Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. Our guest today is Amy Corey. We're honored that Amy has shared some of her time with us today. How are you today, Amy? I am fantastic, and I'm completely so just honored to be a part of this, so thank you. Well, we're excited that you're here. (laughs) Born and adopted from Da Nang, Vietnam at six months old, Amy's birth name is Dang T. Minh Han, a very symbolic and meaningful name. In Vietnamese, Min means bright, and Han means good morale, good soul. Combining these two doesn't just make a powerful name, but a very powerful person. Now, at only 23 years of age, Amy Min Han Khori has started a creative empire just by being honest with her life, her mental health, and overcoming her past struggles with being adopted bullying, some depression, attempted suicide, self-harm, eating disorders, and so much more. She passionately infuses this honesty in her music, her speaking, her writing, her brand, her ambassadorships, and other entrepreneurial projects, all setting Amy in a league of her own as she continues to just wanting to use her voice for good in this world, in wherever she can. Well, Amy, I thought I was challenged, but you you experienced bullying, depression, self-harm, suicide attempts, along with eating disorders, and much more. I got to ask you, how did you even ever fathom thinking getting up off, off the floor after that? You know, it's so crazy. It truly sounds so cliche to, to say, but in all honesty, it's the dream that I had of my life, that hope, that person that I wanted to be in 10 years was the only thing that really kept me going, which is, like I said, cliche to say that that saved my life, but it really did because it was so chaotic. I look back and I'm I question, too, sometimes. But I think when you do attempt suicide, when you do go through these really hard things, you realize that you're still alive for a reason. You know, I'm very thankful and go back to my destiny and my name and my blessings to to know that, you know, I was able to overcome it for a reason, and I'm very lucky to have done it. 
um, and I have that responsibility to, to see it through. Um, I think I just honestly just kept going. And every day I kept moving forward and backwards, but I was moving, and I think I recognized that. I wasn't just staying stagnant in those problems. I was moving, whether or not it was back or forth. It just kept me going. Um, and coming out of it, you know, this is my eighth year um, of recovery from it all and in maintaining and mastering my mind, which is amazing because my struggles and my past traumas lasted about seven years, and now I'm finally more in recovery than I was in my struggles. So it's, it's very exciting. It's a very exciting year. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. So let me ask you, was there one personal experience that motivated you to go down this particular path of recovery and sharing your story? I, I knew that I wanted to turn something positive from it. I knew that I had a choice to make something good of it. And I always tell everyone I talk to is that everything you've been through, I've been through. <laughs> and so I truly understand it. And I can show that, you know, your journey is your own. But that I understand how hard it is so that it's possible to come out. And at the time when I was coming into recovery, my mom was also suffering from um, ovarian cancer. Oh. And she told us that she had about six months to live. Oh, my God. And so that was a big motivation for me to, you know, recover, to be able to enjoy the last months that we had with her as the person I knew she always believed that I could have been. Mm. So that was one of the biggest pushes on, you know, pushing myself to take action. I think I wanted to be in recovery for a really long time, but that was the thing that put everything to action. Great. Really, really appreciate that. All yeah. right. So can you take some time and tell us a little bit about your entire story of how you got here today and feel free to take your time. Thank you. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's brilliant and it's amazing because I was born all the way in Da Nang, Vietnam, and I was adopted as a baby and I was almost like, I was almost dead as a baby too. I was very sick. Um, I was very tiny and I was adopted to an American couple who, um, you know, had their troubles getting me because I was one of the first of two babies to be adopted from Da Nang to America for political reasons. Wow. So it was a big ceremony, and I, we were obviously very, very lucky because we were, you know, chosen out of a book. Like, it, it was that kind of adopted. Mm. Um, and I just must have been a really cute baby. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was adopted, and I grew up in Oregon, um, a small, small town in Oregon, and you know, I always was a singer. My parents got me a, a karaoke machine when I was a kid, and um, I come from a very doctor, political, lawyer family, and so I was kind of the little dark horse of that. But I stuck with it, and I grew up wanting to do it, and around eight years old, I really wanted to do it. So for my birthday, I got to start vocal lessons with... Um, out of state, our neighbor, who was a vocal coach, who was taught by a guy named Seth Riggs, who um, 
who taught Michael Jackson, mm. Stevie Wonder, and his, and and then also my teacher, who was just our neighbor, who we've known for years. So at, at for my ninth birthday, um, I got to start lessons with him, and I did those lessons for ten years with him. Um, but as that dream was happening, it also when the nightmare really kind of started because my parents were getting divorced. It's when I was going, starting the bullying in, in school, and it's when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Jeez. And at eight, nine years old, it, it's a lot. You just don't feel safe anywhere. So I always, there was never something that pushed me off the edge. My glass was just always overflowing to where it was just going to explode. Um, and when it did explode, that's when I felt just not safe. I didn't want to be in this body. I didn't want to be in this world. And I, you know, attempted. And it was, you know, not successful, thank goodness. And then that's when, you know, I kind of just started self-harming. It's when I started having these eating disorders and was in a really major depression for a couple of years. And I kept it very secretive. I was a very good um, actor, and I think everyone assumed I would be because I think everyone was aware of the chaos, and they saw how well everyone handled everything and how everyone seemed okay. And so I was very, very good at that. But I just started, you know, really not in a great place, and I was just so young. Um, and then a couple of years later, I kind of got out of the depression. The bullying stopped. I was kind of going into high school. But it got to a point where my self-harm and my eating disorders and my anxiety and my PTSD were all habits. I think a lot of people forget that self-harm and eating disorders, it's a habit. It's an addiction. It's a way of coping with anything, just like drugs and just like alcohol. That's and for that sure. That's my addiction. Yeah. Um, so I technically wasn't depressed. I wasn't really, you know, getting bullied. You know, things were a little better at home when my parents divorced. Um, and I kind of just used that as coping. And it just became a habit and habit and habit. And then just kind of going through high school with that. Um, and then, you know, realizing that I finally chose myself. I chose that I wanted to get better. Um, which is why I truly understand and talk to a lot of middle schools and high schools is because I was told to get better for so many years, and the expectation of getting better in 24 hours was just so unrealistic for my situation. So I never want to tell anyone that that is what they should do. You have to get better on your own time, and you have to heal when you choose to heal. But... I, out of anyone, knows that it is better to heal, you know, when you are not so deep in it. I always think of those Russian dolls. It's like, if I was to tear back all of the Russian dolls to find the roots, it would take forever because I lasted forever within those issues. Um, but I decided to get better, and, you know, after my mom passed away, that was kind of a test to see if I was really recovered, if I really could handle my mind and really awful situations the best way I can without self-harm, without, you know, bulimia, anorexia, and I did. I used everything 
that I learned over those years as my fire and my drive and, you know, obviously to make my mom proud, both of my moms, because I never met my mom, my birth mom, but I wanted to make both of them proud because I knew they were the only ones who really saw the potential in me. And so three months after high school, I moved alone to Nashville, Tennessee to mm. start my, mu- to oh start my music career. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So, and, how, yeah. Let me ask you how how would you describe your style that you use in the work you do now? And is there a central message that you try to get across? Um, I'm very, I very much always try to tell people to that to accept who they are and accept where they're at in their life, but to always know that. It's not just that. Like, you didn't come this far just to come this far. There is always room for growth, and there's always room for expansion, and that's what you should always be doing. That is what life is about, is learning and growing and living life, and that these dark times are just transformational periods. I always always call them growing pains. Like, you grow, and it's painful, but there's always light from it. There's always light if you choose to find it. And that's why I try to show people is, you know, everything I've went through is dark. I know darkness like the back of my hand. <laughs> but, but the light that I created from it, the life that I have now because of everything I went through is possible to transform. And I'm very intense. I'm very serious when it comes to it all. But I'm very, I'm very just weird in general. Like, it's just funny how I'm very serious in my work, but it makes me a very happy person in my life. Great. Um, and that's kind of my style. But I am very intense and serious because I did come into the industry very young, and I really had to show myself that I was not messing around. And I wanted what I wanted, and, um, you know, I still fight for that very much. So... Let me ask you what the most challenging aspect of your experiences so far. What has that been? Was it, you know, when your you knew your mother was ill, or was there something else? Um, I think when I think one of the hardest things for me is because I always try to find the light, even though. There, the darkness of my mom passing is so dark. There is light that came out of it. You know, our family got a lot closer. I was able to move on to this dream. But I think one of the hardest things that I still work through, that I still, you know, have my days where I think about a lot is, is living it. I think it's so easy to talk about it. It's so easy for other people to see it. But the fact that I'm still living it, you know, (laughs) is obviously hard. And I'm very thankful that I made my brand 100% honest. I was very clear that I'm not going to be someone else. I'm going to be me. But there's pros and cons to that because now everything I do is public. Every feeling I have is public. Vietnam, going back to Vietnam was something very personal, but it became public. And I think that's one of the hardest things is that, you know, I am exposed and I love it and I'm thankful for it. And it's what I always wanted. But I think a lot of the times I even forget that, like, oh, my gosh, like, I still go through, <laughs> I still go through things. I still have stressful days. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to balance. 
sometimes. Sure. But I finally, like I said, over the years, have really gotten control of it. But, you know, there's still those days where, you know, I want to just work through my things alone and stuff like that. But I think I've accepted everything in the past. I have not forgiven it all, but I've accepted it to where I can live with it and I can grow from it. And I know I am who I am because of it. Great. All right. On the flip side, where did you feel the most gratification for all of your experiences so far and why? I, I have to say it's when I really just get to talk to my fans and get to talk to people. Music, I felt like I was always hogging the mic. But with public speaking, with, you know, interacting with my fans, my DMs and my social media are always open to talk to them, to let them have the microphone and for them to tell their stories. And they can trust me in telling their stories and how this helped them or how I helped them, that nothing fulfills my soul (laughs) more than those moments. And it just honestly healed me as well. And knowing that everything I have been through was was truly worth it because one person that's all it took, that's all it ever took for me was if one person could, you know, be okay from it and also continue on my path and, and my journey, but in their own way. That's what makes this all so worth, and that's what makes me so happy. Awesome. Awesome. So obviously, while growing up, your, your feelings and emotions were deeply affected. And I'm wondering how you dealt with that and specifically about how did you get to the point of asking for help? What, what, what changed? What shifted? I, I very much was always my own hero. And that was one of the really strong things is I never waited around for anything to fix me. And it it relates to who I am today. I mean, I don't, I don't need anyone to fix my problems because I know that I can handle it and fix them myself. But I truly see it as the reason I wasn't able to ask for help for so long is because I didn't understand what I needed help with. I had to understand myself. I always say, if you can't understand yourself, how do you expect other people to understand you? Mm. And by understanding yourself, you can then communicate with yourself and then communicate to others. And so once I finally understood what exactly I wanted, I could communicate with someone that, hey, this is what I want, and this is, you know, just the communication as well. Like, if you're not communicating with yourself, like, how can you communicate with others? You're just kind of throwing out empty words and empty promises, which I did for a really long time um, because I truly didn't understand what was going on. Um, I think, obviously, developmentally, like, my brain was not, you know, growth in, like, a, a, that physical way um, or could catch up with my mindset. So I was just like, <laughs> I was just in a million places. Well... That's, uh, that's, that's great to hear that. I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. Um, did you, let's talk about your father figures in your life. Um, how would you characterize 
that man or those men as a man? Were they tough on you, ever showing you love, discussing emotions and feelings? Um, so we as children, especially me, we were always treated like adults. Um, our, our father, our father very much let us do what we thought. He always told us never to get into a fight unless we knew everything we're fighting about. Mm. But that we would have to accept the consequences, accept the rewards, and then make the choice on our own. And we, we did that young. We, we really, really were treated like an adult, which was very hard and wasn't easy at all. And, you know, there's obviously things that, you know, I have to heal from still to this day from, you know, those <clears throat> older men figures. Um, but, you know, I also had a lot of mentors um, who were father figures. And I also um, have dated, you know, older people. So they're more like friends. Everyone, right. It's interesting how in my life, my father figures are friends. Mm -hmm. I consider my father a friend, like my, my, my adoptive father a friend. And I consider, you know, them just as friends. I, I guess I never really experienced that full father figure um, kind of growing up. But it also made us very independent, and it made me very, you know, be able to stand up mm -hmm. to men and not be afraid to challenge them, to show that, you know, let's talk king to king, you know? Right. Don't talk to me like I'm unequal because I'm a woman. Right. And I very much thank my father and always kind of treating us that way because... I feel like a lot of the times I can intimidate men mm. because I'm not afraid to stand up for myself and have a face-to-face -face conversation. And I see and have experienced that, that they, they're, they're a little afraid, which is crazy in a sense because I'm only five feet tall. I'm not that <laughs> All right, let's take a break there. We'll be right back. If you're enjoying this radio show with Tim Crass and you want more, then check out his website at timcrass.com. You'll get all the details of the cautionary tale that Tim experienced that led to this radio show and his new upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun. When you're on the website, you can contact him and schedule him as your keynote speaker for your next event. Visit his website now, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S.com, timcrass.com. If you've been wondering what masculinity is and isn't, then you can stop looking. Tim Crass has lived the life and knows the answer, and he wants to share it with you at your next function, event, or group. Imagine topics like get your checkup from the neck up, or toxic waste or toxic thoughts are hurting your productivity. Two wild and impactful titles that can be heard at your event by masculinity empowerment speaker Tim Crass. Visit his website, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S dot com, TimCrass.com. Shh, over here. Here's a secret for a virus-free computer. ESET, they've been a pioneer in the antivirus industry for over 25 years. 
25 years of innovative, top-rated antivirus protection. ESET's award-winning security solutions provide a safe online experience for over 100 million home and business computer owners. They are so affordable, fast, and simple to use. So be gone, you blue screen of death. ESET's on my computer. If it's not on yours, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ESET now. See straight and save. These days, everyone seems to see things differently. But from your eyes, you can see straight and save. Right now, get glasses online at 70% off at Glasses USA. There's a 100% guarantee, too, on top brand men, women, multifocal, and even prescription sunglasses. Visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Glasses USA, and you will see straight and save. Remember... Get positive emotions at www.healthylife.net. Okay, we're back. And Amy, I want to ask you another question about dealing with men. And that is, you've talked about that you were bullied. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, were, how extensive were you bullied or abused by a man? I, you know, I wasn't initially bullied as a child, as a man. You know, that was just small town girls. But in my adult life, I definitely, you know, have felt the manipulation and felt the, um, the, insecurities within someone to treat me unkindly. Um, and, you know, it did affect me. It did um, cause a lot of questions in myself. And it was interesting how I grew up always being very defiant of men, very, you know, I always considered myself very much a king to my kingdom and could stand up. But there was that one person, obviously, who who broke that down, who who really could win in that sense of a face-to-face battle. Um, and, you know, it just, it affected me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, but it also made me very strong. And it made me very much, like I said, who I am today, where, like, now I don't need a man to handle anything. I don't need anyone and it's made me very strong to face that and yeah to be the queen and the king i always like to put those together is that you can be both right so did it ever occur to you that you know like yesterday's and today's masculinity norms that egotistical macho man the good old boy network did that uh do you think that prevents men from asking for help sooner for fear of being labeled as not a real man? Absolutely. You know, it goes back to that saying, um, like, like a lot of, I feel like a lot of men suffer in silence because there's that always saying that real men don't cry. Right. And I think it's, it, it makes me very upset and sad because I feel like everyone should be equal to asking for help and to not have to worry about asking for help, which is why I love how much you talk about it, is that 
everyone needs help <laughs> in the world. Everyone needs help, men, women. Like, we all need help, and we all should be able to ask for it. And it makes me sad that, you know, as much as, you know, I would love to help someone, you can't help someone until they ask. And I think a lot of men feel like they just can't ask, and so they never receive the help they, they truly, truly want. And they, like you said, it makes their ego very intense and very, you know, self-preservation of themselves, which is very hurtful to other people. And it makes me sad because, you know, if, if they healed themselves, they would be aware of of everything else. But we are all selfish in our own way to protect ourselves first. And I have found a lot of empathy towards the person who hurt me knowing that, you know, his problems were his own. And I was just the one that was there during that time um, who was who brought them out of him, you know. Um, who, that brought those problems to the surface, which is what caused so many problems in the relationship. Yeah. Well, as I we talked earlier, this is a major reason that women have not been treated in, in an exclu- inclusive manner. You know, that mm-hmm. I believe men must create that space for a woman to be herself. And, you know... 300 million people in the world have depression, but only half of those, 150 million, get help. And most, yeah. of, most of those are men. And this is what prevents them from, you know, creating that space and, and being real and instead trying to hide who they really are and cover things up and be competitive. And they don't want pe- people to penetrate who they are, really. And uh, it's a major opportunity in this world for men to understand that it takes more courage to ask for help. And on the the other side of that is is just such a more happier and healthy life. So... Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. And... I was abused and bullied as a child and, and later found out that that was my severe depression was driving my addictions that I had to overcome. And thank God I finally gave up, put my hands up in the air and said, you know, I need help. I'm out of control. I don't know what I'm doing and got to the right doctor who got me a, a properly diagnosed me and got me on the right path. And just like you, I've just passed eight years of sobriety and, you know, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life. So it, I love that. Yeah. It's uh, me too. It's great. (laughs) So can you tell us about your risky behavior as a child? Um, any, any particular, situations that you recall while you were a child or a young adult growing up? You know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about that the other day because my risky behavior was just all my mental health stuff. I was a really good child. I really, you know, stuck to, you know, a pretty straight line because I was always looking for the future. I always knew that 
things, you know, I would, I, I would hope that I would be this person who I am today, and I was very good. But I guess my risky behavior was, you know, my mental health issues and being very defiant. Right. And 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 in situations with people, with with just everyone, and really secluded myself and isolated myself, and that was a really risky behavior because I truly was alone. And I truly was in that mindset, like, okay, if something happened to me, I'm truly alone in this. And that risky is itself because that is the worst situation someone could be in when it comes to mental health because they feel like they don't have anything to lose but themselves. And I consider that my riskiest behavior is that, you know, I really made it a lot worse, in my opinion, um, because I was so alone in it. But... You know, thankfully, I was able to make it out and change my perspective on it to where I became my own hero. But I was also just the worst villain. Out of anyone who's ever bullied me, anyone who's ever, you know, done me wrong, I always knew that I was the worst out of anyone. Hmm. Great. Great. Great share. So let me ask you, uh, I don't know if you ever plan to have any children, but if you do, how do you think you would characterize yourself as a parent? Easygoing, tough, lose your cool, yell and scream, show your emotions and love? You know, <laughs> I, gotcha. I, I personally don't want to have kids. Um, I come, my extended family is about 90 people to where it's, if I don't have kids, no one's going to be like, oh my God, we're going to run out of kids in this family. Um, but I did always, when, when, with my cousins and, you know, I hope my sisters have kids, when I'm around kids, I'm very much, um, I do the same thing that I did, is I, I treat them like adults. Right. I, I, I very much, you know, um, in that mindset of, you know, cry a river, build a bridge, get over it. But I'm a lot nicer than my parents are when it to that. <laughs> But I, I do see myself as an intense person, and I recognize that that, was prob- that would probably be my parenting tip, too, the style as well, um, because I do see how I came out of it. Like, there's things I obviously wouldn't repeat from my childhood. There's things that, you know, I would definitely try to make a lot better. Right. But I very much feel like if I did ever have kids, it would be very similar to how I grew up in that. But I would be very much more involved knowing, you know, genetically what I could pass down to my children. And I very much, you know, can recognize that, you know, I lost my mom when I was 17. And to just, you know, treasure the time because we never knew what was going to happen as kids. And so it very much reflects on, you know, protecting Great. You know, everything. So. All right, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be right back. If you've been wondering what masculinity is and isn't, then you can stop looking. Tim Crass has lived the life and knows the answer, and he wants to share it with you at your next function, event, or group. Imagine topics like get your checkup from the neck up, or toxic waste or toxic thoughts are hurting your productivity. 
two wild and impactful titles that can be heard at your event by masculinity empowerment speaker Tim Crass. Visit his website, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S.com, timcrass.com. Constant Contact and your small business make a perfect fit for marketing. They give you what you need to succeed. Fast and easy email marketing at your fingertips. Visit the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on Constant Contact to start your marketing. If you're enjoying this radio show with Tim Crass and you want more, then check out his website at timcrass.com. You'll get all the details of the cautionary tale that Tim experienced that led to this radio show and his new upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun. When you're on the website, you can contact him and schedule him as your keynote speaker for your next event. Visit his website now, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S.com, timcrass.com. Keyboard Cat, Hamilton the Pug, and Toast Meets World. These are some of the Internet's most beloved pets. And they all have one thing in common. Their stories started in a shelter. Start your story. Adopt a dog or cat today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Training that pet to play the keyboard, that's optional. Start a story. Adopt a shelter or rescue pet today. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Vistaprint. I'm sure you've heard the name. Over 17 million small businesses and consumers have used Vistaprint for printed products, ranging from business cards and brochures to invitations and thank you cards. Why? Because Vistaprint has the lowest price guarantee, and you can design your products with templates or upload your design. And they have free products. Three-day rush service and satisfaction is always guaranteed. Try Vistaprint. Just go to the HealthyLife.net advertiser page and click on the Vistaprint logo. Expanding your mind. HealthyLife.net Okay, we're back, Amy, and I want to ask you to share with our audience, um, with all of your experience at this young age, what have you learned from all these experiences so far? Is there one thing or two things that kind of pop out in your mind that, uh, you know, have really come to the forefront of, of your life? In all honesty, I think what, going through everything I have been through, I always, you know, you feel trapped that, you know, this is it, like this is, this is my life. But I think one of the biggest things is what I've learned is that no matter what I've been through, I deserve happiness. I deserve a really happy life, and I can actually get it if I create it, if I choose to do it. And that's kind of what I've realized in this whole thing is that it's all a choice. You can truly create anything you want. I mean, I look at my career, and I'm just like, <laughs> like, I laugh. Like, it's just, a, it's, to me, it's sometimes a joke. Like, is this really it? Like, this is what I created because I chose to be happy and I chose to move on and to learn and to grow. And I think that's the biggest thing is that, like, I want to show people that this is all I've been through, but also the light from it is incredible and that anyone can do that. And especially if I can do it, <laughs> truly, any, truly anyone can. That's great. That's great. 
Okay, one last question. I'm interested to hear your perspective on how you describe masculinity. I honestly just consider masculinity as equal. Like, I, I feel like I'm a very more masculine person because of the way I've grown up and just treating, you know, anyone with that respect and know that, you know, their appearance, their intensity doesn't degrade mine. And I feel like that is what masculinity should be, is that, you know, like you said, the competition is fierce, and it degrades a lot of men because, especially when a woman comes up to it, but it goes back to that, you know, treat me just like another person, just like another man, is that we're equal. We can talk about things we have the space to talk about things and that that makes you a man that is what a man should be is treating anyone and everyone equally um and that you know we are all fighting our own wars we're all going through things and to recognize that i think makes everyone not think they're better than someone not think just because i have this much money or i do this or i'm this way or this is my trait it's like we're all going through same issues. We're all going through same kind of mental health stuff, just in different ways that relate to our own life. And that if we remain in that mindset, that's what I feel like everyone should just do is just be kind. And that is what, you know, I think masculinity should be. And I very much want to continue just saying that and hoping that, you know, it will be. That's great, and I agree with everything you just said. Um, I want to embellish upon that, on that, because um, I spent some time focusing on this on my book and, and my speaking, and I describe mas- masculinity as a three-sided triangle. Uh, I call it a three-dimensional man. And just like you said, the, the first side of the triangle I, I label as Clint for Clint Eastwood, be, being that, you know, hero, powerful, strong man who, yes, in one sense, he can, you know, help lift a piano down the stairs or the refrigerator, but in the other sense, he's strong enough to uh, know that he's got to have an important, sensitive discussion with somebody in his family, his daughter, his wife, or somebody at work, his boss or an employee. And he knows that it's imperative that that discussion happens, even though the truth is going to be difficult for the other person to handle. And I think that's those two sides of being a, a powerful man are very important just like we were talking about the man making sure that the environment is safe for a woman to be who she is and and allow her to contribute and you know be included in everything that's going on um the other side of the triangle i label as curly for curly and the three stooges and that represents uh, a man who doesn't take himself so seriously, 
that he has a uh, sense of humor, you know, that, that he realizes that life is to be enjoyed and he doesn't have to be so serious and competitive all the time and, you know, lighten up, you know, we're, we're here to enjoy life. And Absolutely. I think I, I love all of that. I like that a beautiful and very honest and true description from someone, like you said, who has experienced it and knows it personally. Yeah. And I always try to say, too, that, like, you know, someone told me, and uh, someone told me, and I'm going to tell the clean version of it, but someone told me that you don't get a medal for doing things alone. Mm. He said it a little more intensely, but it really made me realize that, you know, fire needs air and, you know, the earth needs water. Like, we need people. And I think that's the thing with men is that they need to be seen. They need to be shown that, you know, they can be, like you said, who they are, truly who they are and not have to pretend to be someone else because, and that's what they need. They need people to show that, you know, good, bad, you know, someone is there for them. And I feel like that is what can help open everything. So that's why I love that you're, you know, doing what you do is to show. Because, I mean, it goes back, like, not all men want to hear that from a woman. We need to, they need to hear it from another man. Yep. Um, so I love that. And the third side of the triangle uh, I label as Gandhi. And that represents that a man has to have some type of spiritual connection. No matter what it is, whatever he wants it to be, it's his choice. Uh, there's a million ways to, to make that connection, but it's important that, that it, he has that spiritual connection to help ground himself and, and keep him on the right path. So if a man to me has those three sides, then he's masculine, you know, he's got it going for him. So I think that, I that it's really important and I'm trying to stress, uh, how important that is to start the education for that, you know, at a young age, because unfortunately teen suicides are, are just rapidly rising. So. Okay. As you can see, Amy's story is quite remarkable. She's demonstrated courage, bravery, and giving to her community, a true role model for our world today. We're honored to have you on our podcast today. Any final thoughts? I just want to thank you so much for allowing me on your platform and also just having this platform, like you said, to help and to heal. And so I just thank you for that, truly. It's my honor. I look forward to continuing our dialogue moving forward, Amy, so that we can Absolutely. both we can both help each other and help others. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network and HealthyLife.net. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a book about relationships, depression, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects relationships between men and women. Please contact me for speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com. And don't forget, have some fun today, everybody.
you've been wondering what masculinity is and isn't, then you can stop looking. Tim Crass has lived the life and knows the answer, and he wants to share it with you at your next function, event, or group. Imagine topics like get your checkup from the neck up, or toxic waste or toxic thoughts are hurting your productivity. Two wild and impactful titles that can be heard at your event by masculinity empowerment speaker Tim Crass. Visit his website, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S dot com, timcrass.com. Okay, so you have a couple of days off and you're planning to get away from stress. You may be planning to go across the world or even taking a staycation around town. Well, Hotels.com can get you a room in over 158,000 hotels, 60 countries for 50% off. That's reducing stress already. Plus, collect 10 nights and you'll get one night free. And there's no cancellation charges, no change fees. For the best deals, even last-minute deals, visit HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on Hotels.com. If you're enjoying this radio show with Tim Crass and you want more, then check out his website at TimCrass.com. You'll get all the details of the cautionary tale that Tim experienced that led to this radio show and his new upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun. When you're on the website, you can contact him and schedule him as your keynote speaker for your next event. Visit his website now, timcrass.com. That's Tim, K-R-A-S-S.com, timcrass.com. You're listening to CHSR Real Radio on the web. Hey, this is Tim Crass, Time Out for Mental Health Podcast, and just wanted to take a second to talk about our our guest today, Amy Comey and Corey. And it just amazes me that at such a young age of 23 years old, this woman has experienced so much and, you know, a lot of negativity. And a lot of very difficult, uh, areas of life, bullying and suicide and cutting herself and being bullied. And now she has turned that around to opening up herself, to share herself through her, her music and her just uh, ability to share her story with everybody in a very open manner and in, in the process of, in the spirit of helping others. And in so many areas, I feel she's so advanced in her viewpoints on very large issues of life that we all come up against every day and what it is to be a man and the man's responsibility and her as a woman understanding her power and that she's not afraid to say what she wants and do what she wants and she knows that she may intimidate other men but that that's okay and that you know, she understands that men have to understand their role in this world. I, I often 
give the analogy of a, a bowl of oatmeal. And the man is the bowl. And he has to be that, that hard surface that makes sure, makes sure that that oatmeal representing women remains hot and gooey and excited and thriving and you know that women are able to contribute make their uh views known and that man is not going to be intimidated he's not going to talk over her he's not going to shut her down He's going to do her job, uh, his job, of just listening and maybe asking some questions to, for clarification. And he's not fixing her issues. Woman just wants to be heard. It's like men can't understand a woman that goes out with the intention of buying a dress and she goes to 10 different stores, tries on 13, 14 dresses and walks out of the last place and she has bought nothing. She's bought nothing. But she had to go through that process. And this is what women do. They are emotive. And they want to talk about their day and what's been going on. They want to be felt. They want to be heard. And know that as a man, we are interested to listen to their, their day, their issues, their struggles, their, their celebrations, and that we're happy for them and that we empathize with them. And we realize how important they are in the world and, and in our relationship. And they're not to be shut down. They're to be, you know, savored because they have so much to offer. And that's when I think relationships come together and men and women can have true, authentic intimacy and love, whether it's at home or in the workplace. You know, when you've got men and women in the workplace working together, I'm telling you, the productivity levels are going to be high. But if that man is constantly shutting down the woman on the team and not allowing her to contribute, you're going to have an unhappy camper. And and that's why 60% of all employees today are looking for a new job because they're not happy with their environment and the organizations don't realize that their productivity and profitability is being cut short. And that's something that we all have to learn. So thanks for listening today and have a great day, everybody.